I want to tell you about the sin of partiality this morning, and I'm going to start with a story to do that. In a different time, uh, different context, I served on a pastoral team at one point that had uh, some financial pressures. This was eight or ten years ago. We were recognizing that our giving was going to have to go up. We sat together in a budget meeting during the week and realized that the level of our local giving was becoming a problem. People were generous. A lot of good things were happening, but we were stretched. Obviously, it takes money for a church to operate. It takes money to start new churches, which is what we were doing. And after this budget meeting, with these conversations fresh on my mind, very soon afterwards, we had a new Sunday morning visitor at our church. I shook his hand, chatted with him. He started telling me where he lived, what he did for a living. And I suddenly realized, this guy could be a game changer. I didn't know, I want to be clear, I didn't know at that point anything about his gifts. I didn't know if he loved Jesus. But I didn't know he had money. And I started to think, this was an opportunity. He was visiting this Sunday, and we were going to get a chance to win this guy over. Maybe he was going to become the big giver that we needed. And then I realized, if this wealthy guy was going to come and be impressed with our church, he had picked the worst Sunday of the year. Or rather, maybe if we were trying to impress this wealthy guy, we had picked the worst Sunday of the year. One of the other decisions we had made as a pastoral team was that we would intentionally work at raising up young leaders. And one of the ways that we did this was by occasionally giving guys who were asp- younger guys who were aspiring to ministry opportunities to preach on a Sunday morning. Sometimes they did well, sometimes they didn't do so well. But our congregation was gracious to them. This morning, the morning that our rich visitor decided to show up was one of those mornings. We had chosen this Sunday morning to give a young seminary student his very first sermon ever. It was not a good sermon. And we never saw our rich visitor again. And I was upset. In my mind, in my mind, in that moment, we lost this guy who could have come and changed our financial picture. We had wasted the chance to impress him. I placed a value on that visitor simply because of his money. And then I was frustrated when he chose not to stick around. I'm not proud of the way that I responded, but the name, the, our passage gives us a specific name for the sin that I was committing. That sin is called partiality. We're in James 2 this morning. John just gave us the passage. And I want to help us understand this text this morning. We need to see that partiality is a sin. And James gives us four reasons why partiality is incompatible with the gospel. Then at the end, if we see the sin in our hearts, we'll see how James tells us we can change. So let's get into this text. And as we do, let's consider first the broader context surrounding This passage, verses 1 through 13. What we've already heard going into this message in chapter 2 is the value that God places 
on the poor, whether those are widows, orphans, the needy. We've also already seen the contrast between rich and poor that gets explored throughout James, but we hear about it a couple times. We've heard about it a couple times already. Verses first in verses nine through eleven, talking about the different temptations of wealth and poverty. And then at the end of chapter one, we start to see the value that God places on the poor and needy. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now in chapter 2, verse 1, we have an imperative. James begins with this exhortation. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Partiality is a sin. It is incompatible with gospel faith. We'll talk about what is it? What is that? It's really the idea of favoritism. Favoritism, you might, that might sound like a small thing. Like you might be thinking of like, well, I have favorite foods. I have favorite places to go. I have a favorite student in my class. Everyone has favorites. Partiality means to show favoritism or preference. And it means to accept or to judge someone According to face is kind of the meaning of the biblical term. According to externals, it means to treat people or value people in different ways according to how they look. So that could be beauty, youth, skin color, or it could mean according to their worldly advantages. So, for example, their money, their power, their position. And James tells us partiality is incompatible with gospel faith. James says you cannot simultaneously show preference and favoritism even as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's what verse 1 says. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. To hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is to trust in who he is and what he's done. That's not something that's simply like past tense. I did that. This is our gospel hope that we live by. So we occasionally sing the song, what is our hope in life and death? And the answer to that question is Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? To hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is to trust completely in him. It means I don't trust anymore my own opinions or my own efforts or accomplishments to hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to realize my standing before God is completely based on the merits of Jesus Christ. I'm not depending on my externals or worldly advantages, whatever they may or may not be. I'm trusting wholly in Christ. And therefore, if I actually believe that, if that is actually true of me, then it also changes the way that I see other people. To hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ means that I no longer hold on to my own merits. I've held on to Christ. I've let go of my works. So if I am truly bankrupt and broken at the cross, then how am I to get up from the cross and then start giving people special treatment? Do you see what that means? How am I going to continue to put people in my self-made tiers of importance based on their externals? Think about this. How do we generally think and classify people 
When we, when we think about other people, how do we generally classify them? We look at things like, we look at externals. We think about things like gender, culture, race, money, start to make judgments, start to classify people. James says, you cannot truly hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and show partiality. Gospel faith and partiality are incompatible. They don't work together. You know how if someone said something like, I'm a Bills fan and a Patriots fan. You would say, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Or if someone comes and visits from out of town and says, oh, I like chicken wings. We have them where I'm from. I like to dip them in ranch dressing. You'd say, you understand nothing. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Those things do not go together. James says, you cannot hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and show partiality. And in this case, James gives an example. It's not at all hypothetical. He drives his point home to the church by saying, well, here's what this looks like. Verse 2 and 3. Here's what this looks like. For if a poor man, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Well, here in the assembly, which was probably a church gathering in someone's house, a wealthy man shows up. He's given a place of honor. He's clearly someone important and he's given a good seat at the table. Meanwhile, a poor person comes in. You can see it, obviously. He gets a spot on the floor. That's an example of partiality. We see the externals. We think person number one is important. Person number two doesn't matter so much. Doesn't carry the same weight. We don't make the same effort to accommodate him. We start making value judgments based on external things, and it affects the way we treat people. That's partiality. James is not saying we are to be so naive as to not even notice who is rich and who is poor. It's not the observation itself that is wrong. It's the actions and attitudes that flow from the observation. One person is rich. One person is poor. But in James's example, we're now making decisions about how we treat people according to worldly values. And that's not in keeping with how God sees things. This is not how the body of Christ is meant to work. With preferential treatment going to some parts while other parts are ignored. God sees way beyond this. We have so many examples in Scripture, but I'll just mention one. In 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel is sent to Bethlehem to identify the new king of Israel. He goes to Bethlehem and he sees Jesse's firstborn son, a man named Eliab. When Samuel came, 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7 tells us, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Instead, when we read on, we see that God has chosen David, who was so insignificant that his father didn't even bring him out to meet the prophet. But in the very next chapter for Samuel, we see that Eliab, it's big, tall Eliab, who's cowering before Goliath. It's David who frees the Israelites. 
Placing our faith in Jesus changes our perspective. And James is pointing out the inconsistency of partiality with faith in Christ. And James says this in in verse 4. When you show favoritism like this, he says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The sin of partiality is to make ourselves judges. We are making distinctions, becoming judges, elevating ourselves and our opinions. Partiality is incompatible with gospel faith because we're elevating ourselves. We're making distinctions. We're becoming judges. Look one more time at verse 1, how James refers to Jesus. He calls him the Lord of glory. Jesus is the one who reigns supreme. We only know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because Jesus became poor for our sake. He took on our nature. He carried our sin. He's the Lord of glory. Partiality is driven by evil thoughts. It's elevating ourselves. It's making distinctions, elevating ourselves and our opinions and our judgments and all that, James says, is incompatible with faith in Christ. And James is giving us this example of the rich and poor, the gold ring and the rags. Now, in our setting, these social dynamics might not be quite that obvious. We don't have people necessarily dressing in rags. We might not wear big gold rings to church to indicate our wealth. The dynamics of partiality in some ways could be more complicated, but we're susceptible to this in a variety of ways. We might say, oh, oh, I'm generous. I don't, I don't look down on the poor. When the cashier asks me to round up, I always say yes. I'll give you an example, though. We're in Amherst. So in this area, in the suburbs, if there's a young person, let's say there's a young person that's in need, that's a minority, they have financial needs, so they could, let's say, go to college. So maybe they're poor, they're not that well off, but they're hardworking, they're disciplined, they're respectful. Well, honestly, there are plenty of people in Amherst who would line up to help that person. Because we're okay, actually, with poor with potential. But what about people that are just, let's say they're poor in personality, and we just look down on them because they're, they're bland, they're boring. Or what about people that are poor in mind? We look down on them because they're just not very smart. They can't keep up. What about the people that are poor in body? And we just look down on them because they're not attractive to look at. The people that we think of that are poor in whatever category without potential. See, the dynamics of partiality, they infect us all in very subtle ways. There will always be a variety of people by those external standards in church. But partiality is never compatible with gospel faith. And James goes on in verses 5 to 7 by helping us see that partiality is a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. He says this in verses 5 through 7. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
This illustration might help. Have you ever, have you ever cut someone off in traffic and then realized they live in your neighborhood? Or have you ever mistreated someone and then realized you were talking to a very important person? Or have you ever attacked someone online and then kind of realized later, oh, that's a real person? If, you, if you've ever done something like that, it's embarrassing because you've treated someone in a way that's dehumanizing without any awareness of their real social significance. And James is saying, listen, brothers, the poor person that you are seating over there in the corner is an heir to the kingdom of God. You are rejecting that one that God has chosen. You're living down here on this utilitarian level, thinking this person doesn't matter and that person's not important. You're, rec- you're not recognizing this person is an heir of the kingdom of God. God's chosen him. Here's what James is saying. You're, you're so short-sighted, you're only focused on the power structure of this world. That person that you're looking down on, that person's going to be your neighbor in the age to come if you make it. So don't devalue the one whom God has honored, whom God has chosen. Both the rich and the poor ought to be treated with dignity. But, but really, whether we're looking at the birth of the church here in the first century, or we're looking today at where the church is growing, even exploding globally around the world, we can see time and again, God is choosing the poor of this world to inherit the kingdom of God. In his book, in his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis wrote, and he said, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. And what Lewis is getting at in creative language there is really the doctrine of the image of God. Partiality is a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. We can't mistreat the poor and lowly who may in fact be heirs of the kingdom and who are made in the image of God. We cannot treat them like that. We want to treat them according to who they are in God's eyes. Partiality shows a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. And James goes on to say partiality is breaking the royal law of God. Look at verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the law, royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. To love your neighbor as yourself is the law of the kingdom of God. This goes all the way back to Leviticus when God tells the Israelites how to live with one another. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love of neighbor is not just like a social idea. It's how Jesus lived. It's the example that he set for us. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he showed us the comprehensiveness of love of neighbor. One of his listeners pushed back and said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus taught, basically, if you see someone who needs your love, your compassion, your attention, that's your neighbor. This is what Jesus taught, but it's also the example that he set for us. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So James says very simply, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you're showing partiality, 
you are committing sin. You are breaking the royal law of God. You are failing to love your neighbor. We might think, well, I mean, murder, adultery, stealing, those are big sins. I'm not doing anything that bad. This is just like how the world works. We can't pick and choose. Partiality is not a small sin. It's breaking God's royal law. And we've been talking about this on an individual level. But how destructive is the discrimination that happens with what the Bible calls partiality, whether that is between individuals, whether that's between churches, whether it's on a level of society as a whole. It's destructive. It causes devastation. It's breaking God's royal law. And finally, partiality is a sin because it flips God's intended order upside down. Look at verses 12 through 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When we show partiality and make ourselves judges of other people, we have taken God's order and turned it upside down. We're not to judge others. We're to be judged by God's law. That's what's over us. James says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged. When we judge other people by devaluing them and showing partiality, then that reverses God's intended order because we're making ourselves and our value system the law. But we're under God's law, not over it. We're under it. Sometimes I think about things that I've said to other people, about other people, things that were unkind, things that were judgmental, And I've spoken as though I am the authority, not spoken as though I am the one to be judged. When the church valued the rich man over the poorly dressed man, that was acting in superficial judgment. We ought to speak and to act with great respect for the image of God in other people, regardless of how valuable they may appear to us in external categories. When we relate to other people, we are to do that as those who are under God's perfect law of liberty. It's God's word that's our authority. It's his way that it's best. When we make ourselves the law, our opinions, and our value judgments, we're reversing God's intended order. Okay, so at this point, I think that you've seen the sin of partiality. It's incompatible with gospel faith. It's a misunderstanding of how God's kingdom works. It breaks the royal law of God. It flips God's intended order. It kind of brings us to a question. What do we do when we realize we've played favorites? What do we do with the partiality in our own heart? One of the powerful things about James is that throughout James, he shows us we're not as good as we thought. He shows us, and he shows his listeners again and again, you haven't really measured up to the test of true, true religion. He shows us the condition of our heart. And if you're convicted of the sin of partiality this morning, well, you ought to confess to God and to repent. James also offers the solution. So first, these words are meant to convict. And when we're convicted, we humble ourselves before God and we come to him for mercy. We see this invitation later in the letter in James 4, when James says, God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, 
and he will exalt you. When we fail the test that James provides us with, we turn to God in humility and he gives grace. But I want us to look at verse 13 because it concludes with these four wonderful words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. None of us, none of us deserve the mercy of God. But in the cross of Christ, God's justice was satisfied and sinners like you and I receive mercy. When we treat people with harshness and judgment, it's usually a pretty good indicator that we are not really experiencing the grace of God ourselves. But every person who has been rescued from their sins by the blood of Christ is a living testimony that the mercy of God triumphs over judgment. So partiality is sin. And when we're convicted of that sin, we need to humble ourselves and repent. And then let the mercy that you experience from God overflow the banks of your heart and show mercy to others. Let's pray. Lord God, holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the way that your word exposes our hearts and convicts of sin and calls us to change. And Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel to change hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would individually and corporately know the mercy of God in deeper and more powerful ways so that we would treat others with mercy. Please show us the places where we operate in partiality. And Lord, I pray that in that knowledge that we would confess, repent, turn to you in faith, experience your grace and mercy, and live from that place. We pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now that we have heard God's word, we're going to stand and respond to God in worship.